0: Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, Harvest. Hey. This is cool. You weren't here when I was here three and a half years ago. Isn't that amazing? Three and a half years ago. It's unbelievable. I was only here for five weeks for those who may not have been here during that season. That's all Pastor Doug could take of me. Go plant a church. It really is a gift to be here, and um, it's really, I bring greetings from our whole church, not just me personally, but our whole church has really a deep sense of uh, loyalty to do anything we can to uh, serve you, and uh, it's not uh, just uh, our church either, in the the supporting, and and, and the love, and the prayers, and, and the generosity of this church to support our church plant, but uh, my relationship and my wife's relationship with uh, Pastor Doug really goes back over 10 years, uh, really almost 11 years, I think this fall, the, the first time we met them. And so uh, Doug and Karen have been mentors to us uh, for, that, for that entire season and, and continue to be so. I'm sure I'm one of the reasons why it's good for him to uh, take a break from time to time. And um, um, so really, we bring you greetings. I when we were here three and a half years ago, we only had uh, two children, and uh, so uh, things have multiplied since then, and uh, God has been very good to us. Elijah's now six, and uh, Caleb is four, uh, Selah is three, she just turned three, and Anya, our youngest one, is a year and a half. For real, this actually happened on Friday night. Friday night, we kind of do a family fun night, and um, my four-year-old strategically, you're laughing, you know where this is going, <laughs> strategically, systematically, intelligently obliterated me in a game of Monopoly. <laughs> so i uh, got to help you this morning as the word of God is open. Hey, do you know what Psalm 119 verse 50 says? If you don't know, you need to know this. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 50 said, for this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about how hollow your relationship with God would be? Have you ever thought about how empty your Bible would be if it was void of promises? All that would be left would be precepts. What God expects of us, and it would be void of promises that give life, and they are life-giving, amen? And the Bible is full of them, amen? Today I wanna talk with you about Uh, One promise of the Bible that's been the most supreme promise uh, in my heart and life over the last 10 years. Uh, No promise have I clung to uh, with uh, greater uh, fierceness. No promise has given me life and faith in a greater way than this promise. And it's a promise that gives purpose to my life every single day. When you know that experience when your your legs kind of have to flop out of the bed in the morning... It's the promise I cling, cling to like a rock climber. If you picture a rock climber on, on a cliff face, it's, it's the promise that if you get this into your marriage, it's going to answer some of the most complex questions of marriage for you. It's a promise that brings hope and hopelessness, purpose to aimlessness, peace and instability. It's a promise that will carry you on eagle's wings in the deepest sufferings and afflictions of your life. It's a promise that gives hope even in our sin. It's a promise uh, that is the most all-encompassing promise to give you answers to what God is doing every single minute of your life. It's a promise that's a cruise ship on rough waters. It's a cellar of refuge in a storm. It's high ground in a tsunami. It's hope for every single day. It's answers to daily questions. It's explanation to daily circumstances. The answers to the question, what is God doing in my life right now? that enough inspiration for you? This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me Life. You don't want to know. You want to know what the promise is. Here's the promise. The promise is this from God Himself. I will be good to you. I will be good to you. It's a promise from Him. So, not a lot of rocket science today. Uh, just a longing in my heart that. This promise that has absolutely transformed my last 10 years would absolutely transform your next 10. The promise is, I will be good to you. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. I'll try to get this, guys. Romans chapter 8, we're going to pick it up in verse 28. The word of the Lord says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let us pray. Oh God, what a gracious, condescending promise to your children. Father, our one request in these moments for your people is that you would speak forth your promise over them and impress it into our souls in a way that would bring life. And I pray that life would be brought forth and life would be brought forth from death And life would leave this building today. For the glory of your son and of your greatness and your faithfulness and commitment to you doing always what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Romans 8 is uh, certainly one of the most hope-giving chapters in the entire Bible and uh, in... Uh, Verse 28 kind of comes in the middle of a paragraph, and so when something comes in the middle of a paragraph, you should kind of go like, what's the paragraph all about? And uh, you don't just want to pull stuff out of the middle of paragraphs and uh, not see it in the flow of uh, the argument. And verse 26 and 27 tell us this awesome reality that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And uh, the text says that he's interceding for us because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. First of all, isn't it awesome that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity is interceding for you? Now, uh, he's interceding for you according to the will of God. How many times out of 10, hold up, how many times out of 10 when the Holy Spirit intercedes for you uh, according to the will of God that that promise gets answered? How many times out of 10, right? 10 times out of 10, that prayer uh, gets answered. And so the question is, do you know what the will of God is? What is the Holy Spirit interceding for you about? That's what Romans 8, 28 through 30 is all about. Uh, Romans, the will of God is Romans 8, 28 through 30 in your life. Um, That's what the will of God is. And that's what God is bringing about in part in response to the Holy Spirit's prayers. And uh, these three short verses... Our God's desire to pour out a watershed of transformational life in you. In you. So let's break this down, starting in verse 28. And we know. He, and we know. Don't just read that. See, how, how is Paul saying that? Paul is, the Apostle Paul is saying, and we know. We have a confident assurance. There's a, there's a faith here in that this is true, and, and we know. And so, do you know? Do you have this confident assurance that what is said here in verse 28 when it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good? Do you know? Paul says, and we know. See, if you're like me, the problem is, is way too often you just don't know. Am I right? You don't, you know, you know. You don't know. And the confident faith in what God has promised is traded for, am I really sure about that? Is this really true right now? And we don't know. And so I'm here to build your faith so that when you leave today, by God's grace, you would say, and I know. And I know. And so I hope and have prayed and our churches prayed that this sermon would be primarily encouraging for you. But um, here's the thing that we can't skip past. We can't skip past the reality of the seriousness of our unbelief. Martin Luther said about unbelief, what greater rebellion against God, what greater wickedness, what greater contempt of God is there than not believing his promise? For what is this but to make God a liar or to doubt that he is truthful? I find that greatly convicting. What about you? Do you know? Here's what I know. I know this. I know that faith, if you will leave with faith in this promise today, that it will be so good for you. I know that if you leave with faith in this promise today that many of you will be set free from what makes you miserable daily. But I also know, I also know that biblically and from personal experience, my lack of faith in this promise clogs my spiritual arteries from the lifeblood that his promise would be seeking to give me. And I must start with repentance for each way that I don't know. For the places in your life and mine where I, I don't believe that what God's saying for those who love God, all things work together for good and that moment of repentance, that's the place where you start to see clearly. That's the place where the underbrush of all of the morass that all of the things that are happening in your life right now, it's the place where life happens in the midst of greatest suffering. That's the place where it begins. And so it's the place where we have to begin. And so if you walked in this morning and maybe you're here and you're dry, and you know you're dry, and your soul's dry, and life has overwhelmed you, the rain is coming. The rain is coming to be a lush oasis on the horizon of the scorched soul through repentance, in faith, in the promise. And so by faith, we say with Paul, and we know, and we know, in other words, you promised God. I don't see where this road is going. I don't know where all of this ends, but I, I just know this. I know that you promised something, and I know that you promised that I will be good to you. I will be good to you. That's the path out of desert wandering, a faith that says, and we know. And we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good, do you see it there, God is saying, I will be good to you, that's what he's saying, he's saying that to you, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, I will be good to you, I'll notice, uh, notice that all things, all things work together for good, Um, all things, not some things, not many things, not most things. What does it say? It's all things. All things. And in, uh, in context, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 and in verse 35, it's especially suffering. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that aren't those the times when the promise comes into greatest question in your life? And yet at the same time, it's the time when you need the promise the most. So God gives some encouragement in verse 30 to build our faith in his promise. Verse 30, God's eternal plan, just glance down there for a second. God's eternal plan for human history is summarized right here. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So God's purpose for your eternity is to glorify you, to make you like Jesus Christ. Why do I need to do that? Why do I need to know that? And how does that build my faith? Here's why uh, Here's why we need to know that. Here's how verse 30 builds our faith. Verse 30 is God's plan for eternity uh, so that we will know that what God's eternal plan is, is also his daily plan. And God's daily plan is the same as his eternal plan. And if verse 30 gives you hope in the future, then verses uh, 28 and 29 give you hope today. For what God is doing in my life right now, all things. It's in every second of my day, all things. It's in every circumstance of my life, all things. It's in every word said to me and everything I've done in a day promise that I'm gonna believe for life and hope right now that God is taking all things and he's going to work them together for good. Disclaimer, God doesn't say all things are good. He doesn't say that when evil strikes that he's the one guilty of evil. God is never guilty of committing evil. Rather, he says, all things work together for good. What are your circumstances right now? If in three sentences right now, you were writing out, what, what, is, what are my circumstances? Some of your circumstances is an orchestrated effort from God himself. For you good, if you know his son. You see it in the text. For those who are called according to his purpose. Those who love God, those are called according to his purpose. Those are Christians. For those who are called according to his purpose, this promise is true. Now, if you're like me, and you get easily frustrated by not enough information. And you stopped right there. God's working all things together for good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. If we, if we just stopped right there, what we would end up with is something like a, a Hallmark card. Have you ever heard... Okay, we're, we're never going to say this again, okay? Okay. Have you ever heard someone say, everything happens for a reason? Yeah. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> I wanna pull my hair out, right? What's the reason? It's <laughs> like, why? Get, get, give me a reason. And um, I wanna know when God says, for those who are called according to his purpose, the question I wanna answer is, what's his purpose? What's the reason? In other words, why? That's what I want to know. And uh, I don't really get a lot of strength from Hallmark cards. I've never once read a Hallmark card that sustained life. Promises give me life. Promises give me life. And so when God says all things work together for good for those who are calling to his purpose, then in that promise and in this purpose, there must be life. Thankfully, uh, God doesn't. God condescends to my frustration, and He gives the purpose in verse 29. "For those whom He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." Summary. God's purpose is to make you like Jesus Christ for the purpose of the glory of Jesus Christ. So uh, God is working all things for my good to make me like Christ for Christ's glory. That's what it means when it says in order that he might be the firstborn, the preeminent, the most glorious one among us. And so if you came in today and you are asking the question, what is is God doing in my life right now? You know, you can bank on it with your life that here's what God's doing. God's taking the mud of your life and he's molding it into a fitting image of Jesus Christ. He's always constantly burning away the impurities in your life that he might bring you forth as gold. He's opening a wound and he's scrubbing it out so that he can heal you. He's picking up a bunch of beat up old instruments, dented and clanging out of a landfill and he's orchestrating them in your life circumstances to produce a symphony of Christ's likeness that no one has ever heard. Say, is he doing that for me? If you're here and you know Jesus Christ and have embraced him by faith for your forgiveness through his cross and through his resurrection for you loved ones. Memorize this, all things for my good. To make me like Jesus Christ for His glory. Good. What is good? Good is what God approves. And what God approves of is His Son and His glory. And so He is making you like His Son to reflect His glory. And here's a question, because I think here's the thing that I struggle with in my own heart, and I imagine maybe some of you has struggled with at some point, is what I'm going through right now is on the other side of this, is it actually producing something that's better than I wouldn't, that I would not have if I didn't walk through this season of trial in my life? Is the trial worth it? Let's say uh, you struggle with anger and what if anger runs its course through a, a whole host of uh, destruction of human relationships and injury and the season of that trial actually produces in you a kindness and a tender heartedness and a forgiveness. Would that be better? Maybe you're given to Uh, Self-pity. And what if a season of trial, God was getting you to the place of gratitude and self-giving and seeking to understand others instead of just trying to be understood yourself? Would that be better? What if you're self-righteous and critical And what God's doing, he's showing you some things that you haven't understood before in life to humble you and make you grateful. Would that be better? What if you're fearful and anxious and worry-filled And somehow, in the process of that uh, crushing fear, you got on your face before the Lord and you sought first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he met you there and filled you with faith and trust in new and deeper ways in your life. Would that be better? What if despair gave way to hope? Would that be good? Sounds pretty good to me. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like God is committed to better things for me than I am often committed to for myself. See, what happens is when we see that all things work together for good, we have some hopes in our heart about what God's goodness might mean for us. We kind of have a wish list. We have a wish list that's kind of like this. I wish God's goodness meant an easier life. I just wish God's goodness meant things wouldn't be so hard. Someone said to me one time, Josh, hard isn't bad, it's just hard. What about this one? I wish God's goodness meant a peaceful life. I just wish God's goodness meant that things would be, would be calm for once. Do you find yourself longing for a calm that seems to be evasive? Or what if I wish God's goodness meant a prosperous life? I, I don't want too much more. Just, just a little bit more would be good. I wish God's goodness meant that. Or I wish God's goodness meant a respected life. Why can't I get the respect I deserve? And if I don't, how can God be good? Or I wish God's goodness meant a free life. I, I don't want anything binding. I just want to be free to do what I want to do. No obligations except to my own freedom. There's a whole host of things that could be on this list. The point is, what's on your I wish God's goodness meant" list so that when the text says he's working all things together for good, what is your hope that he means by that? That you might hope wrongly or that you might hope too much. What's on your wish list? See, now I can hear someone asking, so, If God's working all things together for good, why does he have to make my life so hard in order to accomplish that? Here's my experience. My experience is that I have so many things on my list of what I want God's goodness to be that I have a death grip on that sometimes I feel like God has to nearly kill me to loosen my grip on them. The problem is not that God has a sadistic pleasure to make your life hard. The problem is that you have a hard grip on the wrong things that take God great effort to root out of you. And rest assured, he will do so because he promises, I will be good to you. And he will do what he has to do to make you like Jesus Christ. And what we have to get to today is resolved in our heart, whatever you must do, Lord. Whatever you must do, Lord, to make me like Jesus Christ. And however hard it has to get to root out what's bad, that I might become like him, which is far better, for his glory. Do that. Do that, Lord. Do that. Can I share with you a thought that's just absolutely floored me? Is that okay? Permission? I don't know what I would do if you voted negatively. (laughs) Let's close in prayer. I love this, and what I'm about to tell you is true. It's true. And uh, it's actually hard for your faith to embrace this. I know that because it was hard when I first read it. I had to do a double take. Is this true? And it's true. It's true. It's this, God's promise here to work all things for my good, to make me like Christ for his glory. His promise makes him a servant to your good. God of heaven, a servant to my good. Son of Man came to serve. Love the ones that didn't stop post-cross. God promises things to bind himself to you and then promising to work all things for your good to make you like Christ, which is far better for his glory. He is making himself a servant to your good. that's true, then what Adoniram Judson said is true as well. The future is is as bright as the promises of God. Here's what has to happen with a promise. We've kind of been looking at it. We've kind of been thinking about it. We've kind of been examining it but a promise has to be brought home. Promises aren't just to meditate on. Promises are to believe and to embrace. They're not meant to be put in storage and to be pulled out later. God wants this truth in your life every day. He wants it in your kitchen and in your living room and in your marriage or in your singleness and in your workplace. In every category that is your life, God wants to bring this promise home. So what your wife said in the kitchen this week that upset you, all things. What your husband said he would do and failed at again. Has that ever happened, ladies? All things. When your kids... Act like kids. (laughs) All things. When God seems to delay in bringing you a spouse, all things. When you're feeling the miles of years gone by, all things. I could go on forever. All things. Every moment of your day in your home, do you see it? You can embrace this promise. What's happening right now in this moment? Why? God's living out his promise to you. I will be good to you. Here's five ways to bring the promise home. Five ways to bring the promise home. Ask yourself frequently, what is God doing here? what is God actually doing here? Do that, that's a good starting place and this is the promise that will answer the question for you. Then do this, thank God, thank him, pour out your heart in thanksgiving that whatever you're facing right now, he is working for your good to make you like Christ which is far better than what you currently are. And then you need to identify specifically. It's not just that he's making you like Christ generally. What what is he doing? Why in the world did God give me a wife who loves the library? Who invented libraries? Who's the guy who thought up Let's build giant warehouses and stack them with books that we would go and read them. Who was that guy or lady? That's a frustrating person to me. Why do we go to the library all the time as a family? So my wife loves to read. My kids love to read. It's not so easy for me. So what is God doing? He's teaching me how to be a patient specific, servant specific, to do things that I don't wanna do for the good of someone else. Do you see where the rubber meets the road? I have to identify it specifically. And then I wrote this down. Journal about how that would be better for you and God's glory. See, you have to think about that. That's gonna build your faith in God's promise. I will be good to you. What's better about this? And then just practice the needed change. I don't make a lot of progress without just practice and fail and practice and fail and practice and practice and practice and, practice and fail. Practice the needed change. What, what three times this week I'm going to do this because I see this is what God's going after in my life. Last couple thoughts. and That's how to bring the promise home. Do those things. If God came after you, church, if God came after you through sending his son, not sparing anything, giving him up to die on a cross that we celebrate together, will he not also fulfill his promise to do all things for your good? He who spares nothing for you. Won't he be good to you? I want to close with a quote from a small book uh, that really nourished my soul a lot last fall. It's called The Precious Promises of the Gospel. Uh, This this quote is written as if God is speaking to you his promises. It's written in in first person. And so wherever you're at right now, whatever's happening, I don't know all the things going on in your life. I'm not going to... Try to claim to know or even try to understand. But I know that this is God speaking to you right now. So hear this from him. Afflictions shall prove a wholesome cup to you. Your Lord has drunk the venom into his own body. And what remains for you is but a healthful potion, which I promise shall work for your good. Be not afraid to drink, nor desire that the cup should pass from you. I bless the cup before I give it to you. Drink all of it and be thankful. You shall find my blessing at the bottom of the cup to sweeten the sharpest afflictions to you. Your suffering shall not be a cup of wrath, but a grace cup. Not a curse, but a cure. Not a cup of trembling, but a cup of blessing to you. They shall not hurt you, but heal you. Do you hear the promise? I will be good to you. I will be good to you. Bank your life on it. Stand with me for prayer, would you? Father, I know that there's probably many anxious hearts here this morning. May in you they find you to be a rock of refuge, a good father, and a good shelter. Father, I know that many difficulties are faced in the journey of life. And I know many here are journeying through life and mileage is put on and burdens can be great. For each person here who feels that, I pray that you would meet them by faith in your promise. Might we leave knowing that in you is everything we need. Jesus' precious good name we pray. Amen.